Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's Friday, October 7th, and this is Carolyn Caseglia, and I'm filling in for Chickie Fitzgerald, who is the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group. And today I am very thrilled and I am honored to welcome Pam Danziger. And she is the author of several different um, uh, great business books, including her latest, which is called Putting the Lux Back in Luxury. So with that, I'd like to introduce Pam. And Hi, Pam, Carolyn. if you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, kind of the premise of, uh, and the idea and, and how you came about, you know, with this book. Okay. Well, um, I did. Uh, I founded Unity Marketing. I guess I, maybe I should back up all the way um, in 1992. And my focus, um, as as it has evolved, I mean, I used to do like industry studies where I would look at at both industries and companies and and the the partners of distribution within those companies as well as a little bit about consumers. And I, I started doing that in 1992, and, and the outgrowth of that work primarily focused on on um, discretionary spending on consumers. Uh, I like to say I don't I didn't do any research on on necessities like toilet paper. I always <laughs> stuck on in uh, discretionary purchases. And I wrote a book, the, my first one, called Why People Buy Things They Don't Need. And that kind of led me um, over the course of um, you know researching again to the the luxury sector because that's the ultimate the luxury consumer market is the ultimate. Um, you know, category of stuff people buy or things and experiences people buy that they do not need but are totally discretionary. And so since about 2002, I've been focused primarily on the affluent luxury sector uh, consumers. Um, and then I, I wrote my second book called Let, Let Them Eat Cake, uh, which was about the luxury market. And really in uh, in the last year, putting the lux back in luxury which is my fourth book now. I took a, a detour into sort of the retail shopping experience um, after Cake. Um, it really brought me back to uh, updating some of the premises and ideas that we that we saw first in Cake, and now moving into this new luxury market. Because I mean, the recession really did make significant changes, and prior to this last recession, conventional wisdom and on the part of businesses, and you know, was that that the affluent consumers were not affected by um, by by any kind of recessionary economic ups and downs, but in this current market, they definitely were, and they voted very much with their wallets um, in not spending. So it really made a fundamental change, which meant marketers have to work harder uh, to to understand their consumers and to sell to these customers who are more and more savvy about what they're buying and savvy about identifying value. So in a nutshell, that's, you know, I I I, I what I did with the, with cake and, and and updating that with lux putting the lux back in luxury and now that's that's what we do as an ongoing basis with our research work, which is Every three months, we're surveying 1,200-plus luxury consumers, affluent luxury consumers, about their purchases in 22 different categories of products and experiences, including travel is one of them. My favorite part. 
Yeah, well, I know. I know your your oh. association and your group is very travel oriented, and um, I really want to encourage people to come to my website and sign up for our newsletters and my blog, because we are now this quarter with our with our luxury tracking study surveying these 1,200-plus affluent luxury consumers about their travel plans and experiences for the coming year. So we are doing a, you know, a deep dive into sort of that travel mindset, updating information that we had, we had put together in the past, and it will be um, you know, coming out I mean, within the next month or so. So I encourage everyone to come to my website, sign up, put your, you know, register with your email address, and you'll be able to get some information once we, um, we, we get that data analyzed that survey analyzed. Great. Now, looking at, at your latest book, the Lux book, um, you take a look at carving out this uh, market into uh, sub-markets or sub, sub, uh, different personality types within the market's uh, characteristics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, why not, you know, why don't I kind of, you know, back up again? I'm a researcher, you know, and so my business is is market research. So that's that's really where I, you know, consumer insights and market research. And if you are looking at a marketplace and trying to find leverage, trying to find, you know, where, 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 how can I compete? How can I be more successful? I mean, you really want to keep your eyes on the customers themselves because they're the ones that vote ultimately. For, for your product and vote with their wallet. And you really need three different perspectives if you want to understand the consumers of your product or services. One, you need to know something about the demographics of that marketplace, which is how big is it, how many households you know, for, or would be potential customers, and what is their income, and what is their gender makeup, and what is their age, and sort of that, the facts and the figures that describe the demographics. Number two perspective you need is you need to know something about their purchase behavior. Where do they shop? Where do they buy? What kind of, you know, what, 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 what is their kind of spending patterns in the category? So with travel, you know, you need to know. Um, you know, one, you need to know the demographics. Maybe, you know, more older, more mature people have a different need for travel than younger people. Um, you purchase behavior, understanding that more affluent people, um, you know, travel in one way versus lower income people travel in another way. So those are the two perspectives. And then the third perspective, which when we talk about luxury, when we talk about any discretionary good, is the most important, and that is the psychology of the consumer. Because, you know, as I like to remind people, although they, you know, some of them forget it, I think, in business, you know, nobody needs any of this luxury stuff. So when you start with that understanding, then you realize, hey, why they buy it, that psychology that drives them, that makes them willing to to buy and indulge in your product or your service, that's really the most important thing. And in um, in Lux, we did you know we did a you know a, a review of the personalities in luxury, and we in Cake we had done the same thing a psychographic pro what we call a psychographic segmentation excuse the the uh the the industry term my phrase but that that's uh, what we call it psychographic segmentation we found four personalities back in cake when we did it in 2002 2003 but today 
since the recession, there are five different personalities. A new personality emerged, which as a researcher is like really, you know, exciting and sexy stuff for me. So there are really five different personalities. And in fact, today, Bloomberg um, did a major story, had a major story about these personality segments. So so that also, if people want to send me an email, I'll be glad to send you a link, or you can go see the tw- on my Twitter page, you can see the link to that story. Um, one of those personalities is what we call um, the exfluence, and the exfluence are the extremely affluent, and they're the ones that, that live luxury large in all aspects of their lives. And, you know, when I say, because I do a lot of speeches, a lot of talks to groups, and when I say the word luxury consumers, they have a, they they have a picture in their mind, and the picture in their mind is these affluent people, people who wear designer clothes and carry you know designer bags and drive uh, luxury vehicles and live in you know in luxury adobes and you know spend a lot of money, but. The excellence really only make up about 20% of the market. So there are a lot of other, there's 80% of the market is made up of different personalities than these extremely affluent types of people. Another personality is what we call the aspirers. And um, they are people who haven't yet reached the level to, of luxury to which they aspire to. And those aspirers really are more like, want, they want the bling and the flash and the logos so they're even more blingy um, than than the extreme affluence. I mean, extreme affluence are more likely to wear Burberry Pro Sum um, line, which is a more expensive line of Burberry without all the the, the uh, trademark check and plaids. But the aspirers is far more likely to wear the Burberry with with the checks because they wanna they wanna show that they've that they're making it whereas the exfluence have really made it. So those are two personalities. A third personality is what we call a cocooner. And my prototype of the the cocooner personality is Martha Stewart in her public persona. I mean she lives luxury and expresses it through her home. And again, if you look at her on the television show anyway, she certainly doesn't doesn't dress the part of a luxury consumer on her television show. She's she's very much um, dressed down and focused on home. So the cocooners really express their luxury not in the fashions that they wear, the cars that they drive, but in the, the their home environments. Um, another personality is the butterfly, and the butterfly um, is is a person who really has sort of you know. Is, has emerged from a cocoon of luxury living and really ultimately wants to leave the world a better place. And so they're thinking more about how can I use my money, you know, to feed starving children in Africa. So Oprah and um, and, and so many of the uh, business icons who are dedicating a lot of their efforts to charities reflect this butterfly personality. They want to leave the world a better place. Now, they still want to live a luxury lifestyle and enjoy a luxury lifestyle, but for them, they express luxury far more in experiences um, and less in you know material things. And then the, the fifth personality and the one that emerged since we did, I wrote Cake back in 2002, 2003, is what we call the temperate pragmatist. And these are very interesting people because these are people who, 
have money, live, you know, are, 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 are sometimes are able to indulge or indulge in luxury, but they really don't care very much about it at all. And they live a very simple life. They live, um, and they live a, a, you know, a very modest lifestyle. And, and they're, they're, the Ed Begley Jr. is kind of my example of a temperate pragmatist, a prototype of the temperate pragmatist, because if you've seen his movie Living with Ed, it's all about his green living and recycling water, and he's kind of at loggerheads with his wife in California who wants to live, I mean, he's a movie star and a television star and actor, but he lives a very modest life and cycles around um, Beverly Hills and his bicycle and his wife wants to live an ex-fluent lifestyle so they're always uh, at odds. So those are the five different personalities and each of them has a different sort of motivation for luxury and buying. So if you're, you know, in the business of selling to, to these people, you really need to know who they are and and there are ways that you can figure out if you're looking at a customer or you're starting to deal with a new customer in your business or, you know, new travel, new travel customer, you can kind of, there are markers and cues and clues that they give off that helps you identify them and then you can sell to them. So that's an important part of of um, putting the lux back in luxury is really understanding where does luxury lie in each of those different personalities, and then how do you deliver it to them? And and the luxury you would deliver to an excellent is going to be different than the one to an aspirer, and very different than the one to a to a temperate pragmatist, for example. Interesting, and I'm sure um, some of the trends that you're seeing is the the, the types of luxury items. Um, that these different personalities acquire or want to acquire may have shifted due to the recession a little bit in terms of, you know, what what they normally would acquire uh, under better times in the different categories well, may have shifted. Or well, not, not not necessarily shifted because they're – you know, the thing, again, what's beautiful as a researcher about why – if you focus on the why, the psychology of consumers, why people buy in their psychological makeup, truly that is that is very stable over time, you know um, – I, I, I give an example, uh, you know, in my in my speeches about, um, you know, introverts versus extroverts. Now, I am a, I am an introvert. People don't believe it when they see me on the stage because I have no trouble. I'm not shy. I have no trouble talking to 300 odd people. But you know, I'm I'm introverted by nature. Well, thus, I really enjoy research and writing books and and thinking. You know, I, I I don't get a lot of you know that's that's what I do and that's what stimulates me. I'm not going to turn into an extrovert, and that's the same way with these personalities. So a butterfly personality is unlikely to change. I mean, there are you know what we saw is that that temperate pragmatists kind of emerge from butterfly personality. So there is some movement, but it's not sharp shifting. The the shift that you you'll see in the marketplace is purchase behavior. That will shift very, very rapidly. The psychological underpinnings of the marketplace will not change. So you might have an aspirer who used to, you know, save up. I, I, you know, I'm thinking of the, like the, some of the Sex in the City girls. You know, there's, there's, you know, you might say that I think Carrie is actually more of a butterfly. But, but, um, uh, you know, <laughs> but you know, if they, if they were aspiring, they would save up their money to to go and buy a Fendi bag. You know, save three or four months to buy the Fendi bag. Well, you know, that aspirer still is going to be an aspirer, but 
what they're going to aspire to may not be because of the shifts in the economy. It might be Fendi now is out of their reach and they're going to be saving up for, you know, maybe a poppy bag. So actually the shifts in the marketplace have have occurred more based upon um, purchase behavior than in underlying personalities. However, and this is important to note, because of the recession, a lot of people who were in the luxury market at one level or another, um, some of those personalities have simply pulled back altogether and are no longer participating. It would be what we would call those trading up consumers, which was a very important book um, in the early um, early part of this uh, decade. That you know the, that trading up found that the middle class or the, the lower income affluents who were trading up, again, saving for those Fendi bags, some of those personalities have simply dropped out of the marketplace, leaving more exfluence in the market. So there's a greater concentration today than in 2007, for example, of the exfluent personalities because they have the money and they really value luxury and some of the other people you know, have simply, you know, exited. So it's sort of like it's sort of like a uh, a glass of water with salt. It's gotten saltier. It's it's it, the marketplace now is richer and and more uh, with with more of these exfluent personalities, which is good, and thus explains some of the reason why some of the luxury brands are doing very very well because the people who value what they're selling are still very much in their marketplace. Yeah, you look at Chanel raising their prices, you know, Louis Vuitton raising prices in these times. It's it's amazing that the, the brand is that strong that they can do that. Yeah, and, you know, uh, you know, maybe they can, maybe they can't. I mean, I... I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of seeing when I look at what what the latest results of our research, and the thing you know what I'm trying to stress in in putting the lux back in luxury is that we really need to do our work and our due diligence, and we can't just assume that this marketplace is going to grow naturally because I think you know what the demographic information shows is that the Young affluence, young people, young affluence, people who are like 35, the, the window of affluence is 35 to 50, 54 years of age. That's when people have the highest income of their life, their lifetime, statistically. The people who are 40, 35 to 44, the young affluence, have a significantly greater appetite for luxury because they haven't bought all that stuff. You know, they, they're moving into maybe their second or their, their grown-up house, you know, and they're, they're finally starting to acquire sort of the, the markers of affluence in their lifestyles. People who are in the older segment, 45 to 54 and older, generally have already bought and invested in that luxury lifestyle and don't need to make purchases. Plus, they're, they're, their desires change. I mean, what's important for a 35-year-old is very different than from a 55-year-old. So, and I explore all those issues and those value system in the book. But what what we're seeing, if we look at the demographics, is that the number of young affluents who are the people with this heady taste for app, for app, and heady appetite for luxury are actually going to be smaller between now and the end of the decade. So, I I'm looking at this. This coming decade and saying between now and the year 2020, we really are looking at what I'm calling a luxury drought. That doesn't mean that there there isn't going to be opportunity for brands um, and luxury marketers, but it's going to be it's going to, you're going to have to work hard for that. 
So I'm I'm kind of thinking that you know when they you know there may be some different different strategies coming out of the Chanel's and the Louis Vuittons of the world mm-hmm. when they start kind of coming up against the natural limits of their their market at least in the United States and clearly a lot I mean if you read their annual reports I mean Chanel is not a public company but Louis Vuitton is Louis Vuitton Moen Hennessy if you read their annual report you will see a lot of their growth and a lot of you know all the the uh, you know their their flag waving you know about how great their their sales are is really due to what's happening in China and let's look at the Chinese economy it's really less vibrant or i mean it's 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 more unstable it has less stability than our economy does and we look like we're on the rocks too so i i'm just i'm very much the the glass at least as far as this economy is going the glass is half uh, full or half empty rather than half full i'm really kind of and I, you know i i think we we've, we've got to be very got to look at the situation clearly and see growth is going to be slow and hard to come by. So, therefore, you really got to put the locks into it. You've really got to up your value proposition for the consumers and make your case for why they should buy your product rather than somebody else's or your brand rather than somebody else's or or you know, buy your uh, your your travel services. I, I've seen that with the luxury cruise lines, what they're doing to, um, you know, retain, sustain uh, in these, these hard times uh, by what they're doing is doing additional packaging, additional um, bundling of services right. uh, for that affluent traveler so that, you know, once they're on a cruise, they don't have to pay for this and that and that. Um, right. And their flights are included in and certain cruise lines like Azamara, uh, staying in port a couple extra nights, a little bit of a differentiator from the other guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's an interesting uh, time right. for travel companies um, fighting for that same share of wallet um, than right. the uh, luxury car right. or whatever the consumer is going to spend their money on. Well, you know, for travel, again, there's the, the demographics for travel companies is also really, really critical because, you know, we're looking at the baby boom generation, and, and in this year, I guess 2011, the the first of the baby boomers have crossed over into their senior years. I mean, you know, I call senior years 65 and above, but I guess by the time I get to be 65, you know, <laughs> seniors are going to be 75 and above, but whatever. You know, what you're looking at is, once people turn 65, their priorities change dramatically because they start thinking about, you know, the saving for, you know, for the possibility of, you know, you know, serious medical issues, and medical becomes a, a real issue now, and and people start to to pass away. So while there is this tremendous opportunity with the baby boomers as they mature, um, there are also going to be losses of those people. So you know. But it, then again, it creates new opportunities because the baby boomers are a rich, overall a rich generation. And you have, you know, healthy seniors who want to travel with their families and grandchildren. So, you know, the demographics are hit everybody. And there's a popular saying in marketing that demographics is destiny. And clearly with affluence, 
that I mean that's that's a segment that's completely defined demographically by income so and wealth. So um, you know people really need to understand. And I've found um, in my work um, there's a very low level of understanding um, in in business about the I mean really true understanding of the demographics of affluence. Hmm. So what what's coming on the horizon? Well, I mean, we're we're the the there's going to be there are two big bumps which are generational in nature. One is the baby boomers who now are, I guess, you know, over 45 and you know into 65 years old. So that's the baby boomers is one generation with one particular sets of needs. I happen to be a baby boomer myself. Um, you know, so I and then there's the young people, and they're the millennial generation, and that's the babies of the baby boomers. And I'm, you know, I, my my son just got married. My oldest son just got married this year, and you know, I'm looking and watching the the formation of this new family, this new couple, and you know, it's exciting. But they're, you know, they're still in grad school, still, you know, young. The millennial generation, while it's almost as big as the baby boomers, and offers a lot of growth possibilities for marketers as we look to the future. I mean, the fact is that at this age, at their age right now, most of them, very few of them, have really hit affluence. You know, you don't get out of college and don't get out of grad school making affluent levels of income right off the bat. So they've got they've got to put in some time and and pay their dues like the rest of us if they if they can get jobs and and so we're going to have to wait till those millennials reach 35 and above reach middle age really before they reach affluence so that the the prime market for luxury now um is is the gen xers but they are a significantly smaller population so so you've got these two big humps of generation of you know generational opportunity for luxury marketers and then the Gen Xers with very little um, you know there's very there's not as many of them so I just that's why I see between now and the year 2020 2019 2020 when the millennials start to reach that middle age period we're gonna it's gonna be a, a tough time um, and you know. I, and and I think then also, which is we're going to be doing a study on this question because I have I look at the young people and I, you know, I'm looking. Of course, I have my little my my small family of two young men, um, but I'm watching this younger generation and I'm really suspicious that the stuff that my generation called luxury isn't going to be luxury to them. Um, so we're undertaking a new study, a new new investigation into what do these young people aspire to? I mean, what is the luxury lifestyle that they aspire to? Because it may not have much to do. I mean, look at you look at the young people today. It may not have much to do with driving around in a Mercedes Benz car because they, you know, the Mini Cooper is 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 and you know, and the Prius. I mean, they that may be the the luxury brands of the future. They may not, um, you know, need or want a Fendi bag. Men, I mean, young men in particular don't want watch. I mean, who wants a Rolex watch anymore? But as long as they have their technology tools, as long as right. they have, they have those tools, and that's where their luxury is. So, you know, I'm, I'm, and 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 I, you know, if you bet, I mean, what's one generation's luxury is, you know, is really not the other, the next generation's luxury. So I'm willing to bet that they're going to have a very, very different take on what the luxury lifestyle is. And 
and you know they may be opting for careers that don't lead them to money. I mean, we look look at this um, Occupy Wall Street um, trend. I mean, it just popped up these this this uh, group that's just popped up out of nowhere, and it's really fomenting around uh, a fight against this the 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 fat cats and the Wall Street types, and you know it's, that aren't it's, even there anymore, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't know. You know, I just, I just think we have to be very watchful and and um, and 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 keep our eyes on these consumers. I mean, and as they as they grow and as they change. Yeah. Well, interesting. It's fascinating. I can't wait to read the book. I'm as I said, I'm going to download it when we're off the call. Yeah, we got, uh, it's on Kindle now, and you can also um, buy it through Amazon, and um, you can know, get information from my website. I, I encourage everybody because you know travel is an important part, and this this luxury experiences is, is is you know that's the future. It's the future is is experiences because materialism is is really losing ground in in kind of the popular culture. I mean, there's something that seems sort of sad about people who want more and more stuff when stuff doesn't make you happy anyway. So I really see the future as an experiences, but you don't necessarily have to take luxury experiences. We profile a hella ski company in uh, in the book, which you know has a they. I mean, their service, while it's very luxurious in the ski world, it's not luxurious when you think of uh, you know. A, Four Seasons Resort Hotel World, so it's it's a just a different take on what is luxury. Mm-hmm. In that world, yeah, in that world, it's a much different world. Mm-hmm. And I see I see it with the the young generation. It's just yeah. you know, it's just different for them. Yep, it's and it will is. continue to be. You it know, will. What's the, what's the new technology of tomorrow? Today it's the iPad and the iPhone and all that, but that's that's short lived. Right. <laughs> Right, and, yeah. and it's come out of nowhere, and who knows where it's going to go. And, yeah. and I, it's just, I mean, if anything, I mean, my message to to marketers, my message to people who are, you know, looking at their business is really keep your eye on the consumer and understand what, you know, it's not about value, you know, because that word value has become, you know, sort of like the shorthand word of, you know, make it cheap, value. No, no, it's all about the values and how can you align your brand, your company with what the consumer ultimately really, really values because people will pay more if the values are there, if they really are getting something. But they're not going to pay a penny more if the value isn't there. And that's why, you know, so many of these, you know, situations, I mean, that people, you know, are, 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 are you know, look at, look at air travel. You know? <laughs> it's like, I mean, who wants to pay that money? Because it's like air travel is so horrendous in this country. I just, I went to New Zealand. I just got back from a trip. And, man, it was like, when we flew around New Zealand, it was like, oh, this is the way it used to be, and it was like mm-hmm. it was it was wonderful, you know. And even though we were on a prop plane, but yet it was like you know it was a wonderful experience versus this, you know, like now when we when my husband and I want to take a, a little trip, the last thing in the world we want to do is get on an airplane, you know, because <laughs> it's like that's hell. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world now. Yeah, it certainly it is. is. It is. Well, um, I I will open it up for questions. Um, Cecilia, do you have any questions while we're we still have Pam on? Yeah. 
I got Hi. back on I had actually, actually, I hope you didn't address this. I had dropped my telephone, and it took me a while to put it back together and dial back in. But I do actually have a question. Um, this is really interesting stuff for me, and um, it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, my business, in my business, we sell attraction passes so that when people do go on vacation, they can visit attractions and they actually save money. So it's a value-based product. And when the recession uh, first sort of set in, the product that we saw grow the most was actually our Hawaii product, which is a high-end travel destination. And the first part of my question is, um, you know, I think that, you know, we noticed that obviously people who still had money were still traveling seemed to want to get a deal. And we had this hypothesis that it almost felt, people almost felt bad spending more money because it almost wasn't politically correct to be throwing money around in the recession. Um, part one of the question is, I'm wondering if you have noticed any of those trends. And the other part of my question is um, what your thoughts and feedback is of anything you've thought about these deal sites, like the Groupon and the Living Social and the fact that they're selling, you know, peace lightning and really just things that people don't necessarily quote unquote need. And even it dips into travel where there's luxury travel being offered on the deal of the day site. Right. And I think that's doing for consumer marketing and is it changing uh is it changing anything? Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I think this is really, I mean, it's an interesting question because there was, you know, there was a lot of stuff in the, the media about this sort of embarrassment of uh, and being, you know, embarrassed by one's riches so that people would, you know, would buy, you know, if they went to the Louis Vuitton store, they would ask for a plain brown paper bag. Well, I've seen that completely change. And, but, Cheap chic is still very much um, the trend of the day. But when it's, you know, what it means, though, it's not about, you know, going to H&M and getting discount clothes. Cheap chic today means that it is chic. It is cool to be cheap. The, the, the real, the luxury consumers, these affluent consumers who have all the high-tech technology and all the, you know, insider information and, you know, work with, you know, know about all the websites to go to and everything. I mean, they're, they are, they are super, super smart consumers. And they just think it's just plain darn stupid. And they're not that. They're very smart. They're not going to be stupid and pay more than the next guy. They are going to use all the tools and all the powerful resources at their, their fingertips to find the best deals and to do their due diligence when it comes to shopping. Um, and so they are always on the lookout for getting it cheaper, make, get, making a deal, making, getting it for less. And that's smart. And that's that's cheap chic. I mean, because it's chic to be cheap. And today, they're not about afraid of asking for a discount. They're they're not afraid of um, you know bargaining with you. Whereas in the past, that might have been something that people wouldn't do. They aren't ashamed of having a coupon. They're not ashamed of of of, of getting extra points. You know, bargaining for extra points. I mean, that means they're smart. They are smart consumers. And, you know, again, that's part of this new value proposition. So they're going to be they're, – they're, and, and think about it. I mean, does Donald Trump ever pay full price for anything, anything he buys in his private life? And, that's, you know, these are people who are making 
business decisions and know how to manage a budget in their world, in their business life. They don't leave that intelligence or that those smarts at the office when they go home at the end of the day. They bring that same kind of point of view. So you have to be smarter than them. You have to really understand what they're looking for. And as I say, they'll they will pay value. They will pay more if the value is there. But, you know, they they're they they have a different, uh, you know, they may be willing to trade off one thing for another, you know, that where you might think that, um, oh, I don't know, um, uh, uh, I mean, I guess I guess there are just all kinds of examples of ways that people will trade off one thing for another. They might really want to get more points and, you know, more points for on their loyalty card, you know, if, let's say, for example, than, um, than you know, in-room sir, some sort of, you know, special service or free breakfast or something, you know. So I, I think it's yep. just a matter of really understanding who your consumer is and doing the due diligence to find out what they're what they're really valuing and recognizing that there are different personalities and what turns on one group might turn off another. I, I can tell you a temperate pragmatist is going to think about, you know, they want to have their sheets washed and laundered, you know, every three days, not every night. And they're going to hang their um, towels up, for example. And you better provide them with free, um, free, free access to Wi-Fi, for example. Um, other people, you know, it might be totally, you know, for the next fluent, they want clean sheets every night. And, and uh, you know, they don't care about the Wi-Fi as long as, you know, you bring a bottle of wine into the room when they check in. You know, so there's, there are different strokes for different folks. Interesting. Thank you. What are your thoughts on these um, on these deal sites? Is that all, all part of it, or do you think that that's actually changing the way people shop and changing the way we need to address the consumers in general? Well, <laughs> it's very interesting because I'm, um, tonight, we're, my husband and I are going into Philadelphia on a deal that we got on uh, Living Social, I think. So, uh, yeah, it, it's so interesting because there's all these, like, private sites, too, for luxury, you know, like Guilt Group. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's just so much now. There's yeah, well, wonderful mouthpiece that I Is it changing on. the way people shop? Yes, it is. And, and, yeah. and, uh, and, but I also think that they that these sites have found traction because they are really offering the services that and and the 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 deals that people want. I mean, Guilt Group. I mean, I write about these flash sites a lot, and you know, I think they are wonderful. I use them and I shop on them quite frequently because you know it's that it's that. Um, that that it's it's similar to sort of you know you going to a store and you see something you don't know you needed it but once you see it and you you fall in love with it you buy it you know it's sort of like that that um, impulse shopping but think about when you go to a Nordstrom website or I I mean I don't know what your favorite website but Nordstrom is mine and you know I'm thinking about oh I want a navy blue dress well you uh-huh. know you put a navy blue dress and I get you know, 1,000 hits. You know, it's like, well, how do I start there? Whereas the guilt group, you, oh, well, maybe I'd like to get a dress. Well, I get 30 selections. And that's smart shopping because I only mm-hmm. have, you know, I can't choose between a thousand, you know, thousand, I, but I can certainly choose among 30. And then the, the price is right. So, so I think we need to remember that, you know, we got to distill down. I mean, part of what people want is that curated selection. They want, they want you to to present them with a with a menu of items that 
is really custom made for them, not just all over the place. I mean, I think of restaurants. I mean, if you know, you think about some of the really good restaurants really have a very narrow menu selection. You know, it's really narrowly curated versus, uh, you know, you go into a diner and it's like, you know, got page after page after page and you can't tell what in the world it's all about. Okay. Um, Cecilia, any other questions? or? Thank you. That was um, really interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I guess let's all remember it's it's chic to be cheap. (laughs) So that's the value today. Yes, it is. And we will definitely, um, Pam, uh, Patty will put your uh, book on our, we have an egg, uh, uh, the uh, Executive Girlfriends Group Book Club. Oh, great. So she will will put that there and we will put information about your Website and yeah. uh, so that we can sign up for the emails and yes, all the other do, research. because I that's I have a you know or you could you could follow me on Twitter because that you know that's another vehicle that I'm using quite you know a lot today because you know I I come across all kinds of little interesting things that I I feel are important to draw people and people's attention to and that's what I use I Twitter for. I will definitely for. do that. Right Good. Now. <laughs> well, I thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to your group. And again, I'm 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 just a telephone call away or email, and people can can ask me questions. I really am always interested in what people are interested in knowing because that really helps me figure out well what's the next book going to be about or what should I be writing about in my blog or something for for these audiences. So please give me a call. We will definitely do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay. Have a nice holiday weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, ladies. Bye-bye.